0: You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused tech podcast with me, Nate Langson, And I'm Ian Morris. And we're starting this week with an email sent to podcast at natelangston.com from Jacob. I am curious, says Jacob, about your take on the new MacBook Pro. I have long been in the Apple ecosystem and have appreciated the innovations that Apple have introduced. But I think I may have gone too far, or they have gone too far, with the removal of the function keys. As someone who games occasionally on my 2013 MacBook Pro, those keys are important functions in many of the games I play. I understand that you can still access the function keys on the touch bar, but I think it's important to have a physical key when in the midst of game play, or any time a function key might be needed. I don't want to have to look down from the screen in the middle of a game to make sure I'm using the correct function key. What are your thoughts? So, Ian, let's start with you. What was your take on the new Mac? And, and let's just assume here that people have heard there are some new Macs with a little touch strip bar.
1: Well, I should, I should point out, I'm not currently a Mac user, and um, but one of the things that I said going into the uh, MacBook Pro announcement was, uh, my money's ready, I'd like to buy a, something I can edit on the road with. Um, and perhaps we'll talk about what my conclusions were to that at the end. Um, but overall... I like the machine. I think it's a I think it's a good idea. I I think that that touch bar is it touch bar they call it? You've got to be careful with product names, haven't you? Um it seems to me that it's a pretty good idea. I've just written an article where I think it would work for me because of uh video editing. I I I feel the need to have something that's a little bit more designed for editing than a mouse and a keyboard. And and you do a lot of editing Nate, so you probably know the same feeling that um, you know, sometimes you, what you really want to do is grab hold of something to move through your timeline, and I, th- I feel like although it's not a, a dial or a knob or a, a slider, the um, the touch bar could be something that would help with that. So I, I'm thinking, you know, you want to go back through your edit and you know find a specific point. Moving quickly through is easy on that touch bar. I hate editing on laptops because um, if you're going to edit at all, you do need a mouse, um, and who can be bothered to carry a mouse around with them? The keyboards are usually fine on laptops these days, so that's less of a worry.
0: For me, the touchpad itself is already, using a two-finger gesture left and right, the fastest way to scrub through a timeline. So I can't see myself wanting to move my hand higher up for that timeline scrubbing. And to Jacob's point, more specifically, gaming... Personally, I'm not going to miss the function keys too much because most of the games that I play um, use n- the number bar, the number pad, um, you know, the n- strip of numbers. From the gaming side, the really exciting bit about the new MacBook Pros to me is that they're using the new AMD Polaris graphics chips, which scream. They are fresh out of the gate, incredibly powerful. I think they're on the 14 nanometer process. Um And they are going to show, particularly even over last year's models, they are going to show significant improvements in graphics performance. So I would say that if you're considering a MacBook for gaming, then this is a good time to jump into buying a Mac. But if you're buying
1: a MacBook for gaming, and it's, I mean if it's a secondary feature then yes i understand it if it's a primary feature then you'll really not buy the right machine because just get a razor blade because those things are nice hardware specifically geared up for gaming really um and and have the advantage of having those sort of desktop class processors uh, like so the uh, the one i was looking at which which i've considered as another alternative to the macbook pro has a 1060 which is not bad
0: um the Nvidia GTX 1060 yeah yeah
1: exactly yeah um and and those are now at the point where they're the same as the desktop ones so that's a really nice thing to have you know you won't be really hampered in a in a laptop like you used to be
0: a few other things I wanted to point out I wasn't that surprised that the USB uh, sockets were were removed um it's a little bit ironically i suppose that now you have to use a adapter to connect your iPhone to your Mac unless you're using wireless I mean, Apple does this on a regular basis. It kills ports, it kills things, and people some people throw their arms up at the time and go, "This is terrible, you know when the, the IMAX came out without a floppy drive or you know removing the headphone socket from the iPhone." But the thing is, Apple, when it does these sorts of things, it tends to do them at about the right time, and people generally, a couple of years down the line, don't miss it. I mean, I was one of the people that complained about the Macs getting rid of the CD drive, but to be honest, that was the right decision to make. Yeah. And I think getting rid of the full-size USB um, and everything else is fine because we are moving to a more predominantly wireless world. But it did make me think about the fact that if you're, in, if you're in London, London, in the city with your very fast office Wi-Fi and your fiber optics at home, then not relying on cables is not really a, a very big issue. But if you're out in the middle of nowhere or even just in a small town where there are no fiber optics and you've got... Uh, copper-based broadband and the stock router that comes with your Plusnet or your TalkTalk subscription or what have you, often those machines don't offer Wi-Fi yet fast enough for people to be doing wireless syncing of their data, certainly not up to the cloud. And so having the ability to sync everything to a local machine in order to have everything mirrored on all your devices it's something that you still may really suffer if you don't have a cable for and admittedly if you're spending three grand on a mac you can probably afford 10 quid on a cable but it's that point where it's another move that makes me think people in the cities being trialed with this not a problem but i I bet they get different feedback from people outside of the cities or where there's really strong wi-fi um in a conversation about was this a bad decision to remove these standard ports. Let's talk briefly about price, and we'll transition then into talking about the price increase for other Macs. The 15-inch, the top model, starts at £2,349, is it? Yes. I believe which is a very expensive machine and I spec'd up the model that I would want, which includes a one terabyte SSD and the slightly higher end graphics chip. And it's over three thousand one hundred pounds. And I, like you, am in a position where I was, you know, on the verge of wanting to go out and buy a new machine. But I I can't justify that that price. Well that I mean, that's largely
1: my feeling actually. I mean I I, I could justify perhaps going on, on a thirteen inch model. Um but I, i'm video editing so i really need a dis- discrete gpu and I, I i don't want to compromise on that when you're spending when the difference is between say uh well so that one is 1749 pounds um as opposed to the 15 inch which s- starts at
0: 2349 and if i can just ask a question here mate yeah um I, when you're doing your video editing yeah do you generally do it at home do you do it on the go I have been doing it
1: at home, and that's where I do most of it at the moment.
0: Well, that's interesting. And the reason I, I asked about about that is because at the moment, and, and we're expecting Apple to announce updates to the iMac line, at the moment you can buy the top-spec iMac, which, bearing in mind, has a 5K display, mm. you know, a massive 27-inch 5K uh, display, highest-end graphics uh, chip, Uh, of that model 3.3 gigahertz quad-core intel processor you can upgrade that to an i7 as well it's less by about 100 quid than the entry price of the 15 inch macbook staggering
1: isn't it really staggering And, and of course those machines are absolutely beautiful so there is a lot of reason to it and they've sort of they're definitely downplaying the air now aren't they and go and pushing much more towards the um that lower end macbook
0: which is probably a really good choice Let's talk about pricing overnight. Apple increased the product, uh, the price of Macs in the UK by about 20%. And I, I wrote about this in the day uh, for Bloomberg, which you can read on Bloomberg.com. Of course, uh, full disclosure there. And the Mac Pro was one of those that increased by £500 overnight. And this isn't to do with like dollar-pound conversions or new models costing more. This is literally if you bought one the day before, the Mac Pro would cost you £2,499. If you bought it the day after, the exact same spec, no change, literally would cost £2,999. Similar was true of the, um, of the, uh, the Mac Mini. Which cost about 70 quid more overnight, but both were 20%. And, you know, this is very obviously linked to Brexit, or rather, it's linked to the falling value of the pound, and it's a readjustment. And, you know, we've seen this across tech. We saw this with Microsoft. It raised its prices for the cloud based software, and even on the business side, for, in locally installed software, but but next year businesses may find themselves paying 20% more for licenses for Office 365, you know, Word and Outlook and and all that sort of stuff. 20% more, which if you've got a thousand employees or or more, that's going to potentially make a big dent in your bottom line if if you're buying for the first time it, this isn't necessarily going to affect existing contracts I don't think but if you're considering moving away to another provider then maybe there's a benefit in them not increasing the price because it looks like Microsoft's going to have to so we're seeing this through and through and obviously even on the consumer side we've seen pro- pro- products in the in the shops going up by 10 20% as a result of this lots of companies are doing it Apple just tied it in to the day they updated their store with the new products as well.
1: I mean, it was inevitable that, you know, the pound is dropping. We were shielded from those increases by a slightly stronger pound. And now that's not the case. And obviously, Apple, they could eat it, I guess, but they're not going to. It's a business like any other. And and I suspect they look at it from a much more sort of a global overview um, where they, they're just charging the same for the what they what it's costing them, if you see what I mean, it's it's a, it's a hard to explain, isn't it? But I can see why they did it. I think it's a great shame. I think it will probably hurt Apple because people people will have a, you know be less inclined to buy such an expensive machine. And- well, you
0: say that, but I would also say it looks like everyone's going to have to do it, so the oh, relative price difference yeah. is not going to be that great.
1: Uh, as a piece of trivia. Uh, I just wanted to say that the MacBook, um, I did some maths, factored in, well, in fact, you don't even need to factor in inflation, um, but the MacBook Air, when it launched in 2008, was um, $1,700 or $1,799, which is exactly what the uh, 13-inch MacBook Pro launched at this week. So um, it seems expensive, but it, it, in historical terms, it's kind of where Apple tends to drop new exciting
0: products. Interesting. Well, we'll put a link to that if you've written about that as well We'll, uh, in the show notes at natelangston.com slash podcast or just go to techpodcast.uk. You can get to it that way as well. And in the meantime, let us know what you think, either to the new models, to the price increases, or just what it means for the broader UK consumer tech industry that we're now seeing big companies having to jack up their prices because of what the Brexit vote has done to us. Um, Podcast at natelankson.com Well, BT has announced something interesting that piqued my interest this week. Uh, Essentially, it's announced plans to rip out hundreds of its iconic payphones, which you'll remember, dear listener, we talked about the other week as being designed by the same man who designed the Battersea power station now becoming Apple's new London headquarters and it's replacing it's replacing these phone boxes with a next gen kiosk it's going to offer free gigabit Wi-Fi one gigabit per second free UK calls charging facilities for your phones and tablets and things and access to maps on a big display a big embedded tablet computer and local information these are going to be called links there's a hundred. Expected to be installed in Camden in North London initially in uh, 2017, and there's plans for at least 750 more to be installed across central London and major cities around the UK over the next uh, few years, according to a BT press release. Now, these started in New York, which were first installed at the beginning of this year as a part of something called Link NYC. And I've actually seen these in person being used and and generally I know when I'm about to walk past one because I can see one or two people sitting on the dirty pavement uh, with a cable hanging over their shoulder because they've got it plugged into a charging port and I, that was, I always thought that was quite an interesting uh, opportunity for somebody to come out and put a chair there.
1: Um, <laughs> and charge you a pound, a dollar a minute or something.
0: Almost certainly. But there's also been a problem in New York that people watching pornography on these things in public. So that feature isn't going to happen because it just wouldn't be British to give yourself some self-love on the corner of Camden. I mean,
1: on, who does that? Well, in
0: Camden Mate, <coughs> I mean, you don't need a kiosk, so I don't know what they're, you know, gaining by not offering this. If you want to do a thing in Camden, no one's really going to stop you. It's uh, it's a very open community <laughs> up there. I think you might be misinterpreting slightly the rules of general society, even in Camden. But I think this is a neat idea because it's not costing the taxpayer. It's not going to be charged for usage. It's ad support. 'cause there'd be two big ass billboards on the side for for promoting. Um, Adverts on, so that's good, but they're only going to be in the big cities right now, you know. And if there's one thing you don't really need right now in big cities, it's access to more Wi Fi. There's Wi Fi everywhere, the 4G is incredibly fast and it's not that expensive, and everyone's got a smartphone, and so I think. And this points back to why I've seen people just using it for charging in in New York. Is All people really need is a place to charge their phone. And maybe the Wi-Fi will be helpful. But it seems to me that if you're going to replace phone boxes with gigabit Wi-Fi, do it in more rural communities where it can benefit the people who don't have access to municipal Wi-Fi and gigabit internet speeds because they're the ones that are really going to want this there. For everyone else, it's, it feels to me like a, a glorified charging port.
1: It's more for um, tourists, isn't it? Sorry, I I I, I zone out. I'm looking at the photo of it, and I'm just thinking, it's really ugly. It's really, really ugly, and, and well, it, and it's very big, and it is mostly an advert. So I I can see why BT is doing it. It's got nothing to do with providing free Wi-Fi. They're doing that to keep everyone quiet. It's really just replacing phone boxes which people like with giant adverts which people are pretty used to because we're bombarded with thousands of adverts every day it's a very cynical ploy really Um, but tourists when you're abroad um, you know roaming you may or may not have it but it's never as good as it as wi-fi so it's great for tourists and that's probably why they've really concentrated on big cities
0: I think that's that's possible, but you know, on the other hand, the adverts are likely to be appealing to local people.
1: Yes, the local people will be paying it with their eyeball, paying for it with their eyeballs, and the tourists will be using their uh, free Wi-Fi with their phones. I think, and I don't have a problem with that; it's absolutely fine. i simply, it is just a way for BT to make more money. I don't think Wi-Fi costs very much
0: well, they will be rolling out next year. But it's an interesting little segue we could take here because another story that came out this week was about UK mobile networks. According to MPs, our beloved members of parliament, UK mobile networks should allow for national roaming because the argument is... Um, essentially that it is unacceptable that areas in Britain continue to have such poor mobile connectivity and that overseas visitors can expect better mobile coverage than Britons stuck with a single provider. That was a quote from the letter that the MPs wrote. And essentially the argument is, if you're in the UK and you sign up to Vodafone, you're on Vodafone. If you go somewhere that doesn't have good Vodafone signal, you don't have good signal. Whereas if you're coming from Another part of the world where your local network has an agreement with you know two or three mobile providers you 'll just hop onto whichever has the best service. I can totally see the argument um, it just doesn 't make it doesn 't seem on the face value to make business sense because it wouldn 't incentivize people to increase the capacity of their network if they technically don 't have to.
1: I think I hate MPs more than I used to because now whenever someone says something and they happen to be an MP, I automatically take against it without actually considering whether or not it would be a good idea. Um, I certainly do see the argument and I could sort of agree. I mean, theoretically, you could sort of, you could make it the law that they all have to share the bandwidth. with. You could perhaps get it to the point where everyone is sort of an MVNO um and they're all sharing bandwidth. Now of course that wouldn't probably work for someone like EE who uh that has invested so very heavily in its network and has the best results as a as a you know product of that. Um but uh, I don't know. I I we're wasting airtime basically is what is my conclusion. That there is a certain amount of capacity that flows through the air uh, on 4G and some of it's being Wasted by people, you you know, using different networks when it could be pulled together and make one giant thing that was much better. Um, At the same time, I'm like, well, you know, these are businesses. They're not, um, you know, they're they're not run by the government. The government doesn't want to run mobile services, so it should butt out, really. Uh, If there's a business case to be made for sharing networks like that, then I'm sure it would happen. The fact is it doesn't really benefit the businesses, does it?
0: Well, it it used to. This is the thing. I, just before we started the show, we were talking about this story. And I remembered that when I used to be on three and had, let's say, subpar service when I left London. I mean, to be honest, it was subpar in London. That's why I left three. But when I went outside of the cities, it got even worse because big parts of the countryside that I would, I would pass through on a train up when I'm going home towards Manchester had no 3G signal. And I noticed my phone was roaming onto orange and I thought that's very strange. And at the time I looked into it and it was a deal that three had with uh, initially uh, orange or, or I think maybe initially O two, 2 and then later orange where you could roam onto a network that was agreed upon with three if you didn't have access to a 3G signal, because 3 didn't operate a 2G or 2.5G network at the time. It started at 3G. So if you had no 3G, i.e. out in the countryside you had no service so you could roam onto another network and they killed that and we were looking into exactly when they killed that and we found this very comprehensive write up that w- which we'll link to in the show notes at slash podcast from a website called kenstechtips.com. and on this website it was exactly as we as we sort of anticipated is that it was it was to help cover the bits of the country that weren't covered by 3G which really points towards the the need for for this national roaming essentially is what the MPs are saying if you can't get the service you're paying for then roam onto a network that has got coverage out there and the network will pay the other network for the for the privilege yeah. but 3 said again on this this, this blog it, 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 there was an official comment that said, from 3, when we launched our network in 2003, we had 4,500 3G sites across the country. So we decided that we would allow customers to roam onto another 2G network when they were outside of our coverage. Seven years on, so this was written in 2010, we have nearly trebled the number of sites to 12,400. Our own network now covers more than 97% of the population. Note their population. That is not geographic coverage. Uh-huh. Uh, and is the UK's biggest 3G network, maybe at the time. That's why we've turned off 2G roaming across the country, where our 3G coverage is strong. Um, so it was essentially a way of just doubling up the network before it, it could. And that's what the MPs are saying. And I remember at the time thinking, I'm really glad they did that, because then I have I can still send texts and calls when I'm out in the middle of nowhere. So again, it's that rural argument that if you're affected by this, you'd really want this to happen you'd really want this and so i could i i could i could get on board with this as an idea having experienced what it's like when you have mobile signal and the person next so you don't have signal the person next to you does have some signal you're like this is so frustrating just why can't i use that network why can't i have access to that just because i picked the wrong network in advance or because of a fluctuation in coverage or whatever like that's not a good consumer experience and that's not the experience that travelers from overseas would have if they came here and i could see that i i could get on board with that argument to be honest yeah i do
1: see it i do but i also i'm sort of infuriated by it as well it, it feels to me like it's uh it's one of these things it's what why would any business want to do a deal with another business, a rival? doesn't make any sense. Like, if it wouldn't happen in another business, and the government can pop along and say all it wants that it would be much better if we all had mobile phone access everywhere, and I completely agree with that. Um, Perhaps it, it should be that the government helps out or something or I there's got to be a better solution than making companies do deals with each other when they don't want to that just feels to me like you can't be a, a, a conservative government that absolutely opposes public services and still come along and say "Oh, wouldn't it be nice if I could use my mobile phone in my rural you know right wing idyll
0: well if you agree with Ian that this shouldn't happen and forget about the countryside folk forget about the farmers then let us know podcast at natelagson.com. Or uh, if you agree with me and think that actually worse things happen at sea <laughs> and that this might actually be for the benefit of the people, podcast at natelangson.com is also open to your remarks and we'll talk about them for and against next week. Before we get into another couple of stories, let's check in for some global perspective with Tom Merritt, DailyTechNewsShow.com. Tom, what's been happening in the wider world of tech this week? Hello, Nate. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we learned the five things to do to stop your light bulbs from being used to bring down Twitter and other websites, found out how hackable the U.S. election is, learned about the Holovect, which projects 3D graphics in the air right in front of you, and of course, broke down all the announcements from Microsoft, Apple, and Xiaomi. Yes, even Xiaomi. All that and Google teaching AIs to hack each other at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Back to you, Nate. Thank you, Tom. Right, let's talk about something that got a bit of anger on the internet. And actually, I think the anger was completely unjustified. Game has, that's the the story, the story, the store, (laughs) game stores, the the, the brick and mortar store that sells video games to the paying public. It has started charging customers for demos of the PlayStation VR experience. Five quid for 10 minutes or so. And you get to go into the store, put on the headset, play a bit of the game, pay a fiver, leave and <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or buy it you know well, blown if away system, if the system works in oh. then yes buying one um not everyone will do that but also not everyone's happy with the concept of being charged for this demo a, a bunch of blogs wrote uh, were up in arms about this gizmodo uk uh was just one uh mostly because it's the one that i saw first and i'm going to read a couple of lines out of this and, and i don't know it's necessarily say i'm calling them out on this but this is what was this is what was said game has spotted a shameless opportunity to make a quick buck Strictly speaking, not bucks, uh, pounds actually, and is perfectly happy to use it. Having realized that virtual reality headsets are expensive and that a great deal of curious customers who wander into stores for hands-on might not actually want one, it's decided to start charging people for demos. Now, I don't have a problem with shops charging people for products and services. Um, it's kind of what I expect. And and the, the blog goes on to say, a fiver for 10 minutes, get a grip. Hmm. Um, And then they call out a few tweets and and things. And I mean, I read this at first, I thought, oh, yeah, that seems a bit weird. And then I sort of thought about it for a bit more. And I thought, no, this actually makes a lot of sense. And here are several reasons why. Number one, it keeps kids from playing it all day, which is inevitable, particularly it's the Half term holidays, I believe right now, so that's a problem you know some of these things are going to get broken you're talking about a thing where people cover their faces and have you know their arms flailing around like there's going to be breakages there's going to be injuries there's always a person manning these booths and i've seen a ton of photos online i've seen at least ten pictures of people where there's been a, a person manning this this these, these booths which which cost money plus it's not that much money for a bit of a demo of something you might want to buy and you do get your money back if you buy one. Ah do you? Well, that's Yes and on top of that um, if you play yeah. it for a bit and you don't like it then you've had a bit of experience for half an hour and you haven't spent the 350 quid or whatever it costs at the moment to buy one. So I don't really see any problem with this whatsoever. I'm going to throw in one other reason that it's not a problem at all Go on. Um, if you go to a
1: game arcade, what do you do? You pay money to play a game, right? It's no yeah. different to that. I mean, it is a bit rub- more rubbish. Well, it's, it's more th- expensive. Yeah. It, well, I, have you been to an arcade recently? No, mate, because Because um, <laughs> you're I in your adult years. years. Well, I've got many gaming machines right, exactly, at home. Exactly, and I took the kids. Um, we went to a caravan park for a bit of a, a break over the summer and to, experience, and to experience what Brexit Britain looks like. Wow. Um, <laughs> and it Why was. do you hate your children? Oh, it was good fun, honestly. I mean, there were a couple of brown alerts to a swimming pool, which is what you expect, <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> it was... It was it was all right. It was fine. It's by the sea. What could you say? Anyway, um, and there was an arcade there, and of course the kids love it. I spent, and I'm not joking, at least 20 quid trying to finger a Pikachu out of a machine. <laughs> you know, one of those claw grabby things. Yeah. Um, you know, g- gaming is expensive when you do it in those sort of environments, so why can't they charge? It's just, if you went to an arcade and, and had 10 minutes on a VR machine, I guarantee it would cost five quid. So, yeah. Really you know and and yeah. again this is business you know yeah. Like, I've service it's inexac-
0: exactly you know you don't get things for free anymore that I mean it's sad but that's business I looked into this and it's not PlayStation that's doing this it's a game initiative so it's not kind of like a PlayStation promo sort of thing where they're they're driving around the country trying to get people to experience VR which they are doing and Nintendo did it with 3ds as well because they're just trying to get you to, to be aware of their product you know the game one is more for you've heard about it and the trial's over why not come in and, and play for a bit
1: there probably won't be a shortage of places to play it for free if you want to like you said sony is going to be wanting people to try it so um i don't feel like if you want to play it for free you're going to struggle to do so
0: it feels like you, Ian and I in on the same page i mean let us know what you uh, think about this in uh, in in the real world out there podcast at nate langson.com <laughs> Well, that's going to do it for this week. Thanks again for listening and for keeping your reviews coming. I did notice that we've since last week's episode we had another five-star review in the UK store. Thank you to B underscore Hilson for leaving that on the 24th of October. You can do that too by going to your local iTunes store and leaving us a review. We're not asking for five stars. We'd love five stars. But just leaving a review and telling your friends and telling your colleagues that that's really what helps us – keep the momentum up on the show which keeps us doing it every week for you um and if nothing else email us let us know your thoughts ask us a question on something we can answer or just give us an opinion that maybe we can we can discuss or fold into a future discussion podcast at nate could not encourage it more and i think on that note ian um i've heard a rumor will we see them next week Oh God! Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, it's uh, it's become something of a ritual, hasn't it, Norris? Really. Bye, everyone.